Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, we welcome you today uh, to the Storyform Podcast. And I have as my guest a, a return guest, uh, Dan Lancaster. Uh, Dan was on one of our earlier podcasts, um, and it was during that time that uh, I actually talked about having Dan back on uh, to talk a little bit further about uh, his work as an author. Uh, Dan has written many books, and uh, he's written... Um, he's in the process of writing one now, but he has written one that uh, is of particular interest to me, and we're going to talk about that today. Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast once again. It's great to be back. Yeah. Um, so, Dan, this uh, I think the last podcast we talked about your book, Shame is a Liar. How to say yes to God and no to shame. Yeah. Yes to God, no to shame. What was the background that prompted you to write a book on shame? When my wife passed away five years ago, one of the things I think that grief does is it brings up issues in your life, uh, very black and white. And I think all of us tend to kind of skirt around maybe things that we know we should deal with, but we say, well, I'll get to that. And uh, later, but grief has a way of bringing all of that front and center. And so the first book that I wrote kind of out of that was Fear is a Liar. And uh, because I experienced so much more fear after she passed away. But then I noticed that I, uh, uh, an issue that I've dealt with all my life but didn't really understand uh, is shame. And, uh, it kind of came front and center. And so God took me through a journey of, and that he still has me on, of, of dealing with shame and, and things that have happened in my life that uh, are, are difficult, that, are, that were very traumatic and have shaped me, but uh, don't need to define me. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's kind of where shame is a liar has come from, is it's just talking about that journey that I went through, kind of the things that I learned. And I, I felt like what the Lord was showing me would be really helpful for other people. And that's why I write. And so that's where the book came from. Mm-hmm. What was the catalyst um, that led you to come to the place of, of a recognition that shame was something that was a part of your story, that it was something that you had been dealing with and maybe didn't know that. Was there a situation? Was there something that brought revelation to you um, as you were on the journey that you realized, gosh, this has been something I've lived with for a while? I was talking with my spiritual director, and we were kind of going through some of the, the themes in my life of uh, how I've tried to kind of compensate for the trauma. And he made a remark uh, when we were talking about those. He said, well, Dan, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but uh, those are kind of the classic ways that people try to cover their shame. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the start of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he had me read some books and look into some things. And 
And just directing me spiritually kind of opened that whole world to me. Mm -hmm. And once I was able to label those things, I call them the hall of shame. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, once I was able to label those and recognize when I started to do those that I was trying to cover something up, then, then the question became, okay, well, I'm trying to cover something up. Is there a way to to actually deal with it and not just cover it up. Yeah. Which is kind of the, from the very beginning, we see shame enter in, uh, in the very they beginning. Covered, yeah. yeah. They, they covered themselves because they were ashamed. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. From the very beginning of the Genesis narrative, Genesis narrative from the very beginning of humanity, right. shame has existed. Right. Right. So yeah, the hall of shame was so helpful is so helpful to me because, uh, and I think different folks, probably go there's four rooms in the hall of shame okay one is the room of performance performing another one is people pleasing another one is trying to be perfect and then another one is and and they kind of go together but uh, being controlling or overthinking Mm -hmm. things yeah and whenever those four things kind of when you have that fruit in your life it's it's almost always you're trying to cover up a low, deep sense of shame uh, that's there. So I gave them nicknames, actually. So the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the folks who try to perform, I call them the power mowers. Okay. They just, you know, they want it to look perfect, and they run over anything and everything in their path to get the job done. You know? And then I call the, uh, the people pleasers um, the puffy marshmallows. They just want to be sweet and everybody to love them, mm-hmm. you know. And then the perfectionist type of people, which I struggle with. Actually, I struggle with three of these pretty good. But uh, the perfectionist people I call the plastic mannequins. Mm-hmm. All dressed up and nowhere to go mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then the last one, the controlling people are the puppet masters. Yeah. Trying to pull strings behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It's very helpful. Yeah, yeah, it re- it really is, and and when I start seeing fruit of that in my life, I I have to stop and say, wait a minute, this is this is not where I want to be. This is not where I want to go. Whereas in the past, well, I just did those things. Yeah, no, those were my go to survival strategies. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's normally the the pathway that people walk down is they're not even aware of their entering into these rooms within the hall of shame, but there's something that maybe it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. Their, their way of, of being or um, some sort of event takes place that simply cannot be used anymore. The, the, the mechanisms within the hall of shame cannot be used. And so that at least hopefully will prompt a, um, a, a curiosity of where is this fruit coming from in my life? So true. Yeah. And for me, it was losing Holly. Hmm. All the wills came off my life and everything was exposed. And so, yeah, I, I think that's what happens. It doesn't have to be that traumatic, but something traumatic usually happens. And then people kind of, they've been sleepwalking almost in shame. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that traumatic event wakes them up and they look around. Oh my goodness. I'm in the hall of shame, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it takes another person, like in your experience, a spiritual director or a, right. 
or counselor or therapist to be able to gently um, make one aware that they may be entering into these rooms. They may have lived in these rooms. They may not be able to. This is something that's so comfortable that, right. that that this is patterns that they've done for so long. Um, how how do I get out? That may be the question too. Yeah. So one of the things that happened when I was able to label these four things is then I looked at Jesus' life here on Earth, and he was just shamed so many so many times by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and his hometown folks and all of these people, you know, they, they, uh, the devil is shaming him in the wilderness. Uh, he endured incredible shame and yet he triumphed over it. Mm-hmm. And what it, he really is our example. I think, um, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of good things that you can do to try to deal with shame. Mm-hmm. But for me, kind of the core thing that's been the most helpful is to realize Jesus understands this. Mm-hmm. He experienced shame. He experienced what it feels like for your for your heart to just kind of sink in your body because mm-hmm. he was fully man and right. fully God. Uh, he experienced those emotions. He knows what it's like to be having a, a great dinner and then somebody stands up and berates everybody because they're a bunch of sinners. Mm-hmm. He knows what that feels like. He knows what shame feels like. Yeah. Um, and so looking to him, the author and the finisher mm-hmm. of our faith, mm-hmm. looking to him, well, Jesus, how did you handle shame? Mm-hmm. How did you deal with this? And following his example is is actually where the yes plan comes from. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about that. I want to actually, you know, the, what is it that, how did Jesus handle shame? But before we get there, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm curious of, um, what did you, what stood out as you did the research on shame, as you, um, interacted within your own story, what are some things that, uh, were surprising to you as you went through that process of even research and study for this book? Yeah, I, I actually started the book right when COVID hit. Okay. Um, I started writing it. And so, uh, one of the early ahas was that shame is a bigger pandemic than COVID. Mm Mm-hmm. And actually more destructive. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in any way minimizing the people who have lost their lives. But shame really affects all of us. And it does, it's so incredibly destructive. Mm -hmm. And so looking at it as a pandemic, as I was writing, and that we all are struggling with this. We all have this. And people are dealing with it different ways. Some people, oh, there's no problem with shame. Everything's fine. You know, other people, it's the worst thing. You can't get over it. It'll never stop. You know, all of the responses I I was seeing people were giving to the pandemic, same exact responses that people give to shame. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a aha moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Another aha moment was, uh, was just kind of like what I just said. I, I had never read a lot of the interactions between Jesus and others, realizing how much shame was being communicated by the others. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, you at least for me, I was I, I'd read these stories, I, I'd read what Jesus said and what the other people said. But you know, we all know what is said and what is really being said can be very different. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, with kind of this understanding of, of of shame and how it's it's dark, it's it's a big ugly spider. It hides. It's it's lethal. It's uh, uh, but and it's always kind of below the surface, just waiting to find a opportunity to to hurt and maim and kill and, and those kind of things. Uh, all of a sudden, when I started reading these passages, it's like, oh wow, they're they're absolutely shaming Jesus here. They're trying to put him in his place. Mm-hmm. They're trying to uh, discredit him in front of this whole crowd, mm-hmm. and I, I just. I just thought of the times when those kind of things, not like that, but other times when I've felt intense shame, uh, when I felt my legs uh, just kind of burning and I, like I couldn't even stand up. Uh, you know, there's just so many physical manifestations of what shame does to you. And I thought, Jesus felt that. Mm-hmm. He really understands me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't just walk through all of this and nothing. He didn't have like this indestructible shame suit on that none of it penetrated him. Right. right. He really, really understood. So I, there were other things, of course, but as I was reading through and studying and praying, and mm-hmm. I think those were the two biggest things. It's a pandemic, mm-hmm. but Jesus mm-hmm. took on flesh. Mm-hmm. And he totally, completely understands what mm-hmm. we're dealing with. You mentioned the effects of shame. Um, you mentioned one of those is the physiological. Right. You know, that the, right. we feel shame in our body when our heart rate increases and we feel that pit in our stomach and mm-hmm. um, our breathing increases. What, what would you say are other impacts? What are other effects of, of shame? Well, yeah, it, it depends some, I think, on how often it is and how intense it is. Yeah. Uh, some of us probably grew up in homes where there were low levels of shame all the time, and that was used to maybe discipline us or, or control us. And so uh, we kind of almost have a shame cold that we walk around with mm-hmm. all the time, thinking that the world is just like that. Mm-hmm. When it's it's really not right, not God's world, not God's shalom is is not that way. Mm-hmm. But we've just kind of been conditioned to believe that the world is a certain way, um, and that's what shame wants to do. Shame wants us because Satan was shamed when he was thrown out of heaven, mm-hmm. but it was it was righteous. It was yes. right. Yes, it, it should happen. Yes. And, and there are times when people do shameful things that that's pointed out, and it should be. You know, if yeah, you God murder someone, yeah. yeah, if you murder someone, that is shameful. Mm-hmm. And if you feel shame after you've murdered some, you're feeling a, uh, an emotion actually that you should feel. Right. But really, what we're talking about is is the fake shame, right? Uh, you know, the the fake guilt, the fate, uh, all of that. And so, I. One of the things I stress in the book is Satan was shamed. He's in hell. And one of his 
big plans right now is he just wants God's children and all people to feel like he feels. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, he. you know, this is how I feel. I'm going to make you feel this way. And that's a very normal reaction, actually, for somebody who's dealing with shame. Right. You know, I feel bad inside, so I'm going to make you feel bad inside. Right. Um, so, you know, when you kind of look from a 30,000 feet view and you see, well, Satan was shamed righteously and rightly, and now part of why we deal with shame is that's just his agenda. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make you feel like I feel. Yeah. I'm going to work to destroy faith, hope, and love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to steal, kill, and destroy. Right. And in shame often goes after our faith, mm-hmm. um, uh, our hope. Yeah. Um, and our love. And, and it, it could be, um, an environment that one grew up in. It could be an event that took place. Um, you know, you think about an event of sexual abuse, right? That one incident, uh, can for decades, um, bring about the destruction of faith, hope, and love. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so the enemy knows he can get a lot of mileage off of this, um, and, and exploit the hiding and, uh, and the right. covering over and the, uh, the attempts to blame shift all that our um, forefathers and Adam and Eve presented and as, as sin entered into the reality of humanity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're all trying to cover that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all, uh, some of us live in the hall of shame. Mm-hmm. By God's grace, I know he wants us not to do that. Uh, some of us make visits frequently. I guess my goal in life now is uh, to try to limit <laughs> the number of visits I make to the hall right. of shame. Because yeah. living in our world, our, you know, shame sells. Mm-hmm. Shame is everywhere. Uh, because it's so pervasive. It's one of Satan's uh, most effective tools. And uh, so, you know, we're going to run across it. And, and I mean, pardon the kind of pun, but there's no shame in that. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it is reality. But we can get out. Jesus showed us the way to get mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you probably in your research came across uh, Brene Brown. Right. right. Uh, who is kind of within her life work uh, as a therapist, um, has really done some very extensive research on shame and the impact of shame and the um, – pervasive reality of shame within our culture, within our world, the, the effects of it. And uh, just recall, she, she uses a phrase called the shame gremlins, mm-hmm. you know, that we all uniquely have these shame gremlins that, um, and it's often connected to our own story, mm-hmm. um, of ways that, um, the gremlins can, uh, we know that when we get around issues of, uh, sexuality, or issues related to money, or uh, issues related to performance. What what you know they're varied, but there are these shame gremlins that actually uh, come about, and part of that 
work is realizing what are those shame gremlins that um, present themselves and and then whether we are conscious of it or not, we enter into the hall of shame. Right. You right. know, we open the door and we kind of camp out there based on the reaction of the shame gremlins that that um, cause us to move that direction. Renee Brown's books and her her life work, I think, are such a gift from God mm-hmm. to all of us. Mm-hmm. And um, as I was reading through, you know, several of her books, many of her books, I I thought, wow. What courage on her part, mm-hmm. uh, especially because, you know, she, she's been writing about this for a while and she's been studying it a lot longer than that. And when she kind of began her studies, you know, it was in a time where people were saying, well, there's no sin, there's no shame, mm-hmm. you know, there's none of these things. She's very countercultural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just admire her. Mm-hmm. I really respect what she's right. done. Yeah. So can you give some language to the, for the, those four categories, those four rooms of the hall of shame, how does shame uniquely manifest for the power mower? Well, it's all about uh, performing, achieving, mm-hmm. succeeding. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the fact that shame is driving that, uh, explains some things like how, how does someone become a very famous movie star and then kill themselves? Mm-hmm. Well, because you can perform, uh, you know, Jesus said, what good would it do to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Right. And uh, so a lot of achievement, a lot of awards and uh, in heaven, there will be no shame. Mm-hmm. And you know what? In heaven, we're not going to talk about the job we had and how much time we spent at the office and, uh, you know, what our sales figures were for last month. Mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about any of that. Right. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, for, and I'm not saying in any way that achievement's bad because mm-hmm. God made us to work and, and to do well. But there's, there's kind of some, there's somewhere a line. Right. And when you step over that line, you become a power mower. Right. And usually I think if your relationships are suffering because of your work, you've crossed a line. Mm-hmm. Explain some, that. Explain that a little bit. Well, there, there's something going on, something driving you, because really everything is about relationships. Mm-hmm. When we get to heaven, it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be judged by our relationships. Mm-hmm how we treated people and, and what we did for people and how we helped relationships or how we didn't help them or how we hurt them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to be working, we're going to be creating, we're going to be doing things, we're going to be exploring. So it's not like work and energy and is, is bad. Right. God made that. That's good. That was in the garden before Adam and Eve uh, sinned. But, uh, but there's this line, and when I think when your work begins to hurt your relationships with others, mm-hmm. then you, you know you probably need to stop and say, "Wait a minute, I think I may be in the room of uh, the hall of shame right. room." So the, for the power mower, it's um, in order to avoid those feelings of um, vulnerability, insecurity, 
worthlessness. Right. The means by which I do that is I will achieve at all costs. So I don't feel small. So is true. that it? So true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's the image of the, the powerful CEO that mm-hmm. just mows over people irregardless of their, their uh, feelings, their emotion, their, their life. Right. People are dispensable. Right. Yeah. And that's not to say there are many powerful CEOs mm-hmm. who love people and take care of their relationships and people under them say, He's the, he or she is the best person I've ever worked mm-hmm. for. So we're not saying that because you're a powerful CEO right. that you're covering your shame. Exactly. But what we are saying is if you've become a power mower yes. and nothing else matters but you just accomplishing the task, right. then you, you've slipped into right. that room. Right. Yeah. Second room. Uh, people pleasing okay. would be, you know, basically you sell your soul mm-hmm. to the devil kind of, or to people you want to be, uh, you want their approval, you want whatever it takes for them to like you, to accept you. Um, you know, folks here uh, deal with wanting to be well-known and famous and, um, you know, so you, so the people pleasing idea that, that, leads to the hall of shame is when I have conflict, when I have let this person down, um, when I haven't made them happy, that can actually have the tendency that could be the pathway of where the shame gremlins rear their ugly heads and lead you into the door of the hall of shame. Right. Because, you know, with the Lord, we're fully and totally accepted in the beloved. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't need to be people pleasers mm-hmm. to get those needs met. Right. But then on the on the on the on the broad path, <laughs> Satan's path for us, uh, you know, we're we've got this hole in our heart that we're trying to fill, and the way we do it, the way we try to cover up, uh, we're ashamed we have a hole in our heart, and we're trying to make make sure everyone likes us. So we have lots of likes on Facebook, or lots of comments, and if we don't, oh. You know, we feel shame. Mm-hmm. We feel like people don't really care about us and those kind of things. Yeah. It seems as though that shame and fear are interconnected. And so for the for the power mower, for the people pleaser, their greatest fear is um, they're going to be disappointed in me for the people pleaser. Right. You know, which then leads to that sense of I've disappointed you because you're upset with me, mm-hmm. which then leads to the the heaviness and the hiding and the moving away, you know, for the, the power mower, the sense of the rootedness of fear is um, all that I am my achievements. Right. And so, and you're going to respect me if it kills you. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of rooted in a core fear. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So the third room. Third room, uh, the plastic mannequin, okay. the perfectionist okay. folks. What's the um, What's the shame gremlin for? The, the shame gremlin for them is, uh, you know, there's some. Uh, it's It's kind of a fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. It's a fear of, um, you know, that uh, if people knew the real yes. me, yeah, if they saw the real me, right, then I wouldn't be seen as worthy or right. I wouldn't be delighted in. 
So I, I don't, you know, someone in that room and I, I'm in this room too often myself. Um, you know, you don't want to ever get in a situation where you're vulnerable or exposed or people might see through kind of the walls, the, the things that you have built up to kind of around yourself. Mm -hmm. So you look good, you, you dress well, maybe, you know, there's all kinds of ways that people kind of try to perfect themselves. So people look past the hole in their heart, Mm -hmm. the shame, and they look at all that other stuff and, Oh, well, you know, he's a good guy or she's a good lady, you know? And, um, and so that's kind of the, you know, let me make all of this, stuff kind of going on around me. So you look at that and you don't look deep in my yeah. heart. Where yeah. I'm- for the plastic person, the greatest fear is, um, uh, that, that I, I will be exposed if they see the real me. Right. And they really wouldn't like that. And, and that's such a, all of these have vicious cycles to mm-hmm. them, but it's such a vicious cycle because you're doing all these things, which are not really you. Right. And so yeah. you're actually increasing the amount of not being you, right. which increases a sense of shame, right. which makes you then want to do even more things, be even better, be a good boy, be a good girl, you know, all of these kind of things. Mm-hmm. So you're all of a sudden like, you know, you re- wake up one day and you realize, oh, wow, you know, I'm like, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm really trying to be perfect. So people won't see that the shame in me but it's all actually making the shame worse. worse. Yeah. 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 And I think even in this category, um, uh, that th- just being in an awareness of the, the people pleasing, the plastic part, the being exposed, the, you know, so often as people grow in their own self-awareness of, um, I mean, we've all had moments. You think of a moment that, um, you know, in a work setting that, maybe you didn't follow up the way you should have and, mm-hmm. and, and somebody else was involved in the project. And so are you going to be able to say, no, I, I, I failed in this and I dropped the ball and, and do that with a solidness or is there a covering? Is there a, a scurrying? Is there a sense of I've got to, um, I've got to, to cover up because I really feel a sense of shame. Right. Yeah. If they really saw, if they really saw behind, you know, it's the wizard of Oz. If they saw behind the curtain, right. Would they be disappointed? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, and you know, we live in a world, a broken world where there's a pandemic of shame Mm -hmm. and it's good to find safe people, but no one except for God is always safe. Yes. Uh, You know, so we're, there, you know, the reality is in this broken world until it's the new heaven and the new earth uh, and until we've gone to heaven and, uh, you know, we're going to be dealing with this. It's uh, and, and I think that's one of the core messages that Brene Brown talks mm-hmm. about is resilience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this isn't going away. Don't think we can wave a magic wand and all of a sudden it's going to be okay and you're going to be okay. You know, there has to be even a sense of resilience that you build uh, because it's just so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Fourth category, the fourth room. What are, what are the, how does, how shame uniquely manifest within uh, the puppet master? I, I, most of the things that I would find would be like overthinking things, yeah. uh, obsessive, yeah. uh, compulsive kind of issues. Mm-hmm. The greatest fear would be, I'm not going to have the answer. 
I'm not, not going to know what to answer. do. I'm not going to know what to do. Um, I'm going to be exposed as a fraud that I've been like everybody thought I was skilled in this and I'm actually not or, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, OCD and all of these and, and, and those come from a lot of different places. I'm, I'm not in any way saying that OCD is just because of shame, mm-hmm. but uh, it plays a part, but it does play a part. And I think um, those type of behaviors and those things, which we're now so much more aware of in our culture, in our, in our world, uh, so much more aware of like back the clock up even a hundred years ago. Um, and I think the reason for that is because shame continues to spread. Mm-hmm. It continues, the tentacles continue to reach out and, you know, by the fruit of the tree, you'll, you'll know what the tree is. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of these kind of things that we consider modern problems, they are, of course, very much modern problems in some ways. But in other ways, they're just the fruit of shame going on and on and not being addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's everywhere. It is ever-present. It right. impacts subtly, uh, covertly. Um, we encounter it all the time in our own personal interactions mm-hmm. uh, in our own world in our in our work setting in our family settings it is it is there it is a uh, it's a pervasive reality that we deal with right. so what what is the what is the hope for m- moving to a more healthy place right and and that's been it's just been so healing in my life, mm-hmm. uh, looking at the at the Lord Jesus, yes, and realizing that He was in a world like that. Mm-hmm. He experienced a world, and He overcame that. And so, and there are many verses in the book that I go into, but probably the the key verse is Romans twelve two, who endured the cross for the joy set before Him. Uh, let's see. Well, looking to Jesus, this is twelve one and 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And so kind of out of that verse, the Lord just began to work in my heart uh, the yes plan. So the, the why part of the yes plan is to yield to God. And, and Jesus endured the cross. He yielded to God, even though... Uh, he and his whole life was that way, of of yielding to God, and and so for me, as I'm imitating him, following him, and of course the great news is he lives inside me, so he can teach me how to do this. He can show me how to do that. He's right beside me, guiding my hands and my thoughts and all of that. You know, as I lean into him. Uh, but you just yield to him. So, you know, those times when I want to become a power mower, I yield that to God. Mm-hmm. Those times I want to p- please people, and it's just such an overwhelming desire to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I yield that to God. Mm-hmm. I want to be a living sacrifice. I, I just yield it to God. Mm-hmm. And so those things that actually... Those four, the four rooms of people pleasing, uh, four rooms of the hall of shame, there is no way that you and I by ourselves can overcome those. Mm -hmm. 
There are no psychological techniques that mm-hmm. will work. There is nothing that we can do about those. At best, they're Band-Aids. At best, mm-hmm. yeah. But God can. Mm-hmm. And Jesus showed us a life of dependence and yielding mm-hmm. to to the Father. So that's kind of that's the first yield to God is the why. The E is embrace empathy. So Jesus for the joy set before him. So when he's was going to the cross, he just had incredible joy knowing that his sacrifice was going to defeat Satan and God's love was going to overcome Satan's hate. And that because of what he was doing, hundreds and thousands, millions, even maybe billions of people were going to be in heaven, a place full of love and, and, and joy and all of us. And, and so he goes to the cross with this incredible joy knowing what he's about to do. Um, and so for us, embracing empathy and following his example, that was his life. To be around Jesus was to feel understood mm-hmm. and loved and cared about. And he asks questions and he talked with you and he, uh, you know, you felt such empathy from him. And so uh, that embracing empathy for us in the yes plan, I think, is uh, empathizing with ourselves. You know, there are some things that I've experienced in my life that anyone else who had been in that situation would have been really traumatized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my heart would just go out to them. I am so sorry that happened to you. Well, I need to have empathy for me. Mm-hmm. I need to say, you know, Dan, that is really sad that that happened to you. And just let that empathy for myself flow out. But it also needs to flow, uh, you know, to other people and become a more understanding, caring, and less judging. Uh, shame and judgment go a whole lot together. Mm-hmm. And... And, and, you know, try to come alongside and give that empathy. So that's the E. And then I like the third uh, one is, of course, scorn, shame. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was looking up in the dictionary, and one of the, one of the definitions for scorning is calling something stupid. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and just calling shame for what it is, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of a, a whole point of what we've been talking about we've been talking about all these things we've been exposing shame we haven't let it be in the dark we put labels on things and and now when it starts to happen it's like you gotta be kidding me mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i know what you're doing here right. and i'm gonna yield to god and i'm gonna embrace empathy and i'm not gonna put up with you I, i'm not gonna go here i'm not gonna deal with this mm-hmm. i don't always do that perfectly mm-hmm. Uh, I, in fact, I, not at all, but I, I think just having the ability because of what Jesus has done and because he sits at the right hand of the Most High, mm-hmm. we, I think, can now look at shame and say, I got your number. Yes. I know what's going on here, and, and this is stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let it ruin my life like I've let it ruin my life before. Yeah. Is very practical, a uh, very practical application of something that we can put in place to constantly uh, have some sort of process to work through this, right? Because we will butt up against it. We will experience that. We will find ourselves 
back into the the hall of shame, but just having some categories of understanding, understanding how this has impacted us. Oh, there's a mower that's uh, going right now. So the listeners are, are, you know, hearing the big mower and uh, rock just hit my window. So uh, hey, we're we're raw and uh, and and organic here in this podcast, Dan. And that's a good thing. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, just a little bit of a follow up. I I know uh, in traumatic shame events in my life, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, it was like I was just I was overwhelmed with all of the shame. Mm-hmm. And and now with the yes plan, I know the first thing to do when I feel those emotions or people are saying something or something's going on is to yield to God. Mm-hmm. And, and that's incredibly helpful because now I know what to do right. <laughs> before, uh, you know, if I was shamed in a situation, I, I it just like kind of blew all of the gaskets right. in my mind. Yeah, you'd be stuck in this room, just with stuck with shame, all of this emotion and all of this. Yeah. And now when it happens, it's like, okay, yield that to God. Yep. yep. Yield that to God. Have some empathy. Know, okay, yeah. uh, this is this is here. It's present. I'm going to name it. Uh, I'm going to see it in others, and I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, be compassionate for others. Right, right. I'm going to be compassionate with myself mm-hmm. in my own frailty, in my own humanity, in my mm-hmm. own weakness. Um, and, and, you know, then I'm going to actually name that and say, no, no, you don't have a place here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so instead of feeling just totally taken out, Mm -hmm. I know what the first step is. Mm -hmm. I know where my heart is and I know I can stand there and say, no, right. Kind of, (laughs) you shall not pass. Right. Yeah, you've got. You yeah. shall not pass. Right. You're you know. not going to take me out. Right. And I think so often when people don't have an awareness, this is why this book is so important, Dan, mm-hmm. because when people don't have an awareness of how the subtleness, the covert nature of shame, the pervasiveness of it, right. and how much it has brought damage to the way we see ourselves, the way we do relationships the way we engage the world. Mm. And when they're not aware of that, um, they operate blindly within the hall of shame. Mm. And like you say, the fruit of that is some bad fruit within their life. Right. And, and so that's where the importance of as Christians continuing to give work to the things that are below the waterline within our life. Yeah. So often we, um, we know that there is an external world and there's an internal world. Mm. The external world is what we primarily engage with. It's, it's, um, it's our performance. It's the way we dress. It's, our productivity and all those are important. And we mm-hmm. live in a world that requires that. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't oftentimes have categories for understanding. We have an inner world. We have a, right. we have a soul that can um, be impacted, that can be impaired, mm-hmm. that can be harmed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why uh, more and more we need works like this uh, to help us see there are things that are happening in my inner world that have I not have an awareness and a plan and an ability 
to to move through, uh, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be healthy. I love this statement, and I think it covers a lot of what you write about, Dan, mm-hmm. is that we cannot be theologically formed until we are relationally formed. Right, right. In other words, we cannot be spiritually mature until we are emotionally mature. Amen. Yeah, our relationships are the the gauges on the dashboard of the car. Right. You know, and if something's going wrong on that dashboard, it's, it, what it tells you is there's something wrong inside mm-hmm. the car. Yeah. And so when our relationships, uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. When they're, when they're off and, and of course I'm not, you know, we don't relationships are a two way street mm-hmm. and, and, a lot of times we have to deal with forgiveness and we have to deal with maybe other people who don't want the kind of relationship that God wants us to have or, you know, all of that enters in. But when it comes to us and how we're doing in relationships and what we're doing, you know, uh, they're such a barometer of, of that inner life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're the only things that are going with us to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be judged in heaven by what we did in our relationships. Right. That's the need and the importance of a work like this, Dan. And, and yeah. I, um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and, oh, such um, a joy. and well, sharing such this. A joy. And, and as this posts, we'll have a link to where people can purchase this book. And we would encourage that. I would encourage everyone who's listening to this to uh, begin. I, I believe I, I could say probably this book it would be kind of a primer in some ways mm-hmm. that it just at least gives you some uh, understanding of the nature of shame and and some practical tools to combat that and mm-hmm. to move and work through it. And it's a it's a very uh, powerful. Um, topic and it's a work that um, I commend to anyone who's listening to this and uh, Dan I appreciate you taking the courage based on your own journey uh, which is how you author books based on your own journey to say I, I want to write about this to get clarity not only in my own life but I believe this will be helpful for the body of Christ this will be helpful for other believers so we'll have to do another podcast and talk about death as a liar. <laughs> that sounds great yeah, to me. I know that that's in process and I'm very curious to hear about, yeah. um, you know, w- what all you're learning from that. That'll be for another time and another day. But for today, Dan, I really appreciate you and, um, your contribution, both to fellowship Bible church, to the body of Christ at large. Um, and, um, I believe this this work uh, will be very helpful for many. Thank you, brother. Thank you for joining us today on the Storyform podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.